We are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 this evening. But first, before we begin to look at that in detail, turn with me all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 22. It's the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, and we're going to read together verses 9 to 22. Moses is speaking, and he's speaking to the Israelites about the way that they ought to behave when they come into the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. Moses says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The main thrust here in Deuteronomy that Moses is giving to the people of Israel is you need to listen to God. And you need to listen to God's prophets. And you need to not listen to anyone who is a false prophet who says that they're going to speak on behalf of God when they're not speaking on behalf of God. And you need to not listen to information derived from demonic powers and forces. You need to seek information and you need to seek revelation from God. That's the main thrust of the passage that I just read from Deuteronomy. And in here, God promises that He will raise up a prophet like Moses. And that the people ought to listen to that prophet ultimately. There's an ultimacy to that prophet. You get the sense that this prophet who is to come will be greater than Moses. He will be like Moses, but you get the sense, it's implied in this passage, that when that prophet comes, right? God says... God says in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words 
in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. There's a seriousness, a sobriety, a gravity to this prophet who is to come. The Lord creates all the way back here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the expectation of a prophet like Moses... But I think the, the sense of this passage is that he will be like Moses, but greater than Moses. The Lord creates that expectation among his people all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. One will come who will be the consummate revealer of God, the consummate spokesman for God, the consummate prophet of God. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 18 to 25. Acts chapter 3, verses 18 to 25. Peter is preaching, and he says, What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said... The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What Peter is saying here in this passage is he's saying explicitly, Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke about way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. But what Peter says more than that is astounding. He says, Jesus is what all the prophets have been talking about all along. All of the Old Testament prophets have been prophesying about Jesus. So it wasn't just Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses saying that another prophet would come. That wasn't the only prophecy about Christ. But look... Again, Acts chapter 3 and verse 18. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. And again, uh, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after Him also proclaimed these days. Christ has been the sum and the substance and the totality and the scope and the center and the hub of all the Old Testament prophecies. And Christ Himself is the consummate prophet. 
He is the one like Moses, but greater than Moses. He is the prophesied one, and he is the prophet, the consummate prophet who was to come. <coughs> so now, turn to Hebrews chapter 1 with all of this in mind. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. There's contrast, obviously, implied in this passage. And what many make this contrast out to be is a contrast between certain modes of revelation and another mode of revelation. Uh, In other words, between these many times and these many ways, right, dreams, visions, prophecies, all this kind of stuff, and Christ Jesus. But I don't think that that is the main contrast that's in view here. Think about it. The book of Hebrews is itself prophecy. Prophecy is not just foretelling. Prophecy is forthtelling. Prophecy is speaking the very words of God. The author of Hebrews is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews itself is a prophecy. And so he can't be, he can't be saying there used to be prophecies, there used to be dreams and visions and so on and so forth. And now there's a different mode that is Christ Jesus because Hebrews itself is a prophecy. So I don't think that primarily what is in view here in this contrast is those modes and this mode per se. What is in view here is partiality and fullness. That long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And I think the sense of that is um, He gave us, in many times and in many ways, a partial understanding, a partial picture of who He is and who we are and what is the nature of our relationship to Him. And we know something of reality from all these many times and in these many ways that God has spoken. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And I think we could interpret the sense of that as, and now we see the fullness. Now we see it clearly. Who is God? Who are we? What is the nature of our relationship to Him? What is the reality of this world in which we live? Christ Jesus has brought us the fullness of that revelation. Because look at what it goes on to say. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. What we see here is that Jesus is held out to be the fullness of revelation. So I think the contrast that is implied here is primarily partiality and fullness as opposed to those modes and this mode. And so what we see then is that the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us that the Bible is a book of progressive revelation. The Bible is a book uh, that is like a sunrise, which first starts out and you see a little bit, and then you see more and more and more and more, and then you see the fullness in the noonday sun. The author of Hebrews is telling us that in many times and in many ways, God has been telling us things, revealing bits of who He is and what He is like and who we are and how we ought to relate to Him. And we've been getting a clearer and clearer and clearer picture. But in these last days, all the lights have come on. 
in Christ Jesus. And we see in His Son, who is the radiance of His glory and the exact imprint of His nature, everything clearly. That is what the author of Hebrews is getting at in these first couple of verses. The superiority of Christ's revelation. Not in terms of the mode in which Christ has been revealed is superior to the previous modes, but in the sense that the fullness is superior to the part. Now, truth is truth. All that the Old Testament prophets said was true. What they say, God says. So thus, you read in uh, many of the Old Testament prophets, thus says the Lord. Right? Maybe it's Isaiah speaking, or it's Jeremiah speaking, but they say, thus says the Lord. And so what they say is absolutely true. And so Jesus can't actually be bringing a better kind of truth. That doesn't make any sense. So Jesus, it's not like they were sort of true, and Jesus is completely true, but it's that they were giving part of the picture, but Jesus is the fullness. Uh, the way that when we look at a landscape, or when we, maybe if you've ever sat outside your house before dawn and watched the sun come up, as you go, you go outside and you see some shapes in the darkness, and you... I mean, you've seen the outside of your house before, so you know what those shapes are. But strictly speaking, you can't make out what those shapes are in the darkness. What you see of them, what you perceive of them is true. Perhaps you see a house across the street, but in the darkness, if you didn't know better, you might not know it was a house, but you see a big, wide, tall object. You perceive something true about that house. But as the sun rises, you see more and more. You see more and more details. And then when the noonday sun is out, you see clearly what that house is like. Everything that you have ascertained about that house all along is true. But you see the fullness of the truth in the noonday sun. And so it is with the Old Testament prophets and the coming of Christ. Everything that they said was true, but it was partial. It was building towards something. It was going somewhere. It was driving at something. It was preparing us to understand. Uh, it was giving us mental categories for the fullest revelation of God in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it was partial truths about God. It was propositional truths about God. Um, which if God is infinite, we could stack propositional truths upon one another uh, and make a stack from here to the moon, and we would never exhaust all the propositional truth about God. But what happens is that when Jesus comes on the scene, He says, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. So no matter how many propositional truths Isaiah could give us, or how many propositional truths we could read and ascertain in the Old Testament, we could not exhaust who God is, but then Jesus comes and He is God. And so we see a fullness of revelation in Christ Jesus that we do not find in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just as true as the New Testament, but it's partial. Everything that the Old Testament prophets say, God says. And we read even in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, as the author quotes from Psalm 95, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, 
and then goes on to quote Psalm 95. And so we see that even in the Old Testament, when the human authors are speaking, it's God speaking. So we're not talking about lesser truth and greater truth, falser truth and truer truth or something like that, but we're talking about partial truth and full truth. We're talking about uh, the crack of dawn and the rising sun and then the noonday sun when Christ Jesus comes on the scene. That is what is in view here. Think also another analogy might be like a painting. If you've ever watched an artist work, they're painting something and they put on a streak of red and then a streak of a slightly different shade of red and then a streak of another slightly different shade of red. All of those streaks of paint are true and real parts of the painting. But watching them in the early stages, you can't fully understand what it is that they are painting until you see the whole thing. And when you see the whole thing, you realize that all those original streaks of red or perhaps the base that they put on the canvas, which is now covered up by other layers of paint, all of that was a necessary part of the full revelation, so to speak, of that painting. But at the end of all that revelation, you can see the fullness. So it is with the scripture that each propositional truth given to us in the Old Testament is true from the mouth of God. But we see the consummation of revelation in the person of God's Son. We see the fullness of revelation in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the consummate revealer of God. He is the the consummate uh, revelation of God. In other words, all of Scripture, as Peter says in Acts chapter 3, is revealing Christ. All the prophets were speaking of those days when Christ appeared on the scene. All of the prophets were speaking about the sufferings and the resurrection of Christ. But not only is Christ the fullest revelation, the consummate revelation, Christ is the consummate revealer. And so we're just going to walk through uh, a few sections of the Gospel of John and just highlight this point. Beginning all the way back in John chapter 1, we read, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Was there no grace in the Mosaic Covenant? Of course there was. Was there no truth in the Mosaic Covenant? Of course there was. But we're talking about degrees so that the Apostle can write, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That what was primarily revealed in Moses was the law. And what is uh, where grace and truth are most fully revealed is in Christ Jesus. And then the next verse, chapter 1 and verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. And so again, you see this. Up until the incarnation, no one has ever seen God. And then the only God who is at the Father's side comes and makes that invisible God visible such that He stands in front of people and says, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. This mind-blowing truth that God, Jesus Christ comes and makes 
God known to a degree that God had not previously been known up until that point. That there is a fullness in the revelation of Christ. The revelation that Christ brings. Christ Jesus is the ultimate forth teller. And over to uh, John uh, chapter uh, 7 and verse 46. Some people go to arrest Jesus and then they don't, they don't do it and they come back and in verse 45, uh, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees say, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Now, that, I mean, they were talking in the scheme of their lifetime. Uh, they were talking about what they had experienced. But, but isn't it true? No one ever spoke like this man. That, that all the other prophets says, thus says the Lord. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but I say to you. It's true. No one ever spoke like this man. Jesus is the consummate prophet. Jesus is not just one more prophet in a steady stream of prophets. You know, there's Moses and then uh, there's Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and then Jesus. No, Jesus is the consummate prophet who is like them. He speaks the very words of God, but he speaks the very words of God as God. Such that he says, I say it to you. No one truly ever spoke like this man. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the truth. Not I bring the truth. I am the truth. Again, Moses never said, I am the truth. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. No one ever said, I am the truth. But Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am the truth. And so what we see in the pages of Scripture in this progressive revelation is something like the experience that Job had when God appeared to him at the end of that book. Job chapter 42 and verse 5, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What we have in the Old Testament is uh, figures and types and shadows and propositional truths, statements about God. We have God's words, statements from God. But Jesus shows up on the scene and says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Or as Hebrews puts it, He is the radiance. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so it's as if when Jesus shows shows up on the scene, we could say, we had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now in the incarnation, now, my eyes have seen you. See, Jesus is not just the consummate revelation of God, but Jesus is the consummate revealer of God. He himself brings us the fullest revelation of who God is as the incarnate Son of God. And so he is, in that sense, the consummate prophet. The 1689 Confession 
chapter 8 and paragraph 10 says, In respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of His prophetical office. We need to know who God is. Because of our ignorance, we do not naturally know who God is. Even by the light of nature, even if we were to interpret properly everything correctly from general revelation, even if our sin nature didn't cause us to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, we would not have a sufficient picture of who God is, an adequate picture of who God is by general revelation in order to relate to Him in uh, love and in fellowship and in communion. We are ignorant unless God should condescend to reveal Himself to us. And He has done so in many times and in many ways through the prophets of old. But in these last days, He has spoken to us as it were fully and finally and completely in His Son. In the revelation of Christ Jesus and the revelation that Christ Jesus brings as the consummate prophet, God has spoken fully and (coughs) completely. And so Jesus is the consummate revealer of God. Jesus is the prophet par excellence. Jesus is the consummate prophet, the consummate revealer of God. Turn to Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 23. And then we're going to read a section from uh, chapter 34 as well. And I just want to highlight uh, again what I've been saying and sort of try to explain this a little more, uh, a little more fully. Exodus chapter 33. No, this is the wrong passage. No, this is is the right passage, but I think I meant to say 17 rather than 7. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord or Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then over in Exodus chapter 34, we read God doing exactly what He said He would do for Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. All of this is true. All of this is absolutely true. These are the very words of God recorded for us and inspired by God for our sake that we might know something of God. And Moses responds as he should. He quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. When we learn that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We ought to do as Moses did and bow quickly our heads toward the earth and worship. But I just want to, to compare and contrast this revelation of God, which was very intimate with the revelation of God that we have in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes on the scene. Let's just take the Gospel of Mark, for example. Just, as, just for example, we'll just walk through a little bit. Jesus comes on the scene. And a voice came from heaven in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Of which prophet has God ever said this? Wow. This is God's Son coming up out of the water. Wow. And passing along the Sea of Galilee... Chapter 1 and verse 16, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Wow. The Son of God, follow me. Still in chapter 1, Jesus uh, is in the synagogue. And there was a man with an unclean spirit who cries out and Jesus rebuked him. In verse 25, saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus' actions, do you realize, are the direct actions of God. The incarnate Son of God was among us. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. You see, there's not, the contrast is not between how God was then and how He is now. Nor is, nor is the contrast between uh, falser revelation and truer revelation or something like this. But just in degrees, propositional truths about what God is like versus watching the incarnate Son of God interact with people in a way that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. There's harmony between these accounts. But rather than God proclaiming propositional truths about who He is. In the Son of God incarnate, we see God acting in accordance with His nature. And immediately, Mark chapter 1 and verse 29, He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. 
That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Yahweh, Yahweh, slow to anger and abounding in love, merciful and gracious. You see, Jesus is acting in harmony with all the previous revelations of Yahweh. But in Him, we see so clearly, more clearly than ever before in His person, just who Yahweh is. Jesus is the consummate revealer. And of course, we see at the cross, all of these things in their fullness at the cross. Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful and gracious at the cross where Jesus dies for sinners, sent by Yahweh to bear the sins of those who are undeserving. Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Oh, you see harmony between Exodus chapter 34 and the end of the gospel accounts, don't you? You see harmony, but you see a degree of clarity at the end of the gospel accounts that isn't there in Exodus chapter 34. A degree of clarity about just how merciful, just how gracious, in just what manner Yahweh will be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love toward mankind. And you see also what was said about Yahweh in Exodus 34, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Who will by no means clear the guilty? You also see at the cross that God will not simply look the other way towards sin. That God will not simply just say, well, I guess it's not a big deal. I mean, I'm a big God. These are little people. They're relatively little offenses. I'll just look the other way. What you see at the cross is also exactly what was said of Yahweh in Exodus chapter 34. Who will by no means clear the guilty. Yahweh will punish sin. Yes, He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yes, He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but He will do it in a way that is just without clearing the guilty. What you see is that He laid upon Christ Jesus the sins of all whom Jesus acted for as a representative and punished all of those sins clothed all of the people whom Christ represents with the righteousness of Christ so that they would, by imputation, be no longer guilty. So that when He clears them, He clears them justly. So He is merciful at the cross, gracious at the cross, slow to anger at the cross, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin at the cross, and at the cross by no means clearing the guilty. We see in Christ Jesus and in His work 
of redemption. The fullness of who God is. Christ Jesus is the consummate, not only revelation of God, but revealer of God. In His person, we see most clearly who God is. It's important to see that Jesus came for the salvation of sinners. And that that is a revelation of Yahweh. Yahweh stands ready to forgive. Ready to pardon. All who will come to Him by faith in His Son. If you haven't ever trusted in Christ Jesus for salvation from sin, you need to deal with Him. And you need to know that He is ready. He is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And you need to see that at the cross is where and how He is like that and where and how He will do that. You need to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation of your sin. But you need to also understand that if you will not come to Yahweh through Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, you need to understand that Jesus In His person, we also have the fullness of Yahweh's justice, His holiness, and His wrath. At the end of Revelation, we read about Christ's return in chapter 19, where He returns, not with mercy, but to judge His enemies. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You need to understand that when Jesus came to this earth, the first time that he came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, as we read in John chapter 3 and verse 17. But what we read in John chapter 3 and verse 18 is that whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, Christ Jesus is held out to all of us as a a cornerstone upon which we may uh, be built up into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit as the end of Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. But we also read in the Scripture that that same cornerstone is a stone of stumbling for many. That many don't build, as it were, on the cornerstone, but many rather stumble over this cornerstone. That Jesus Christ and the revelation of Him will not, be, uh, will not result in salvation in the end for many, but will rather uh, result in judgment for many, because people will look at Jesus, the consummate prophet, hear his words, and perceive in him the fullness of the revelation of who God is, and they will reject that revelation. They will not listen to that revelation, and so they will be condemned. We read in 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 2 Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We need to understand that when Jesus came into this world in the incarnation, He came to be the consummate prophet, the consummate revealer of God. We need to understand and take to heart what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 and what Peter said in Acts chapter 3. We must listen to that prophet. We must believe that prophet. We must understand that when Jesus came to reveal fully and finally who God is and who we are and the nature of our relationship to Him and to bring to completion all the threads of revelation that had been begun to be woven together throughout the Old Testament. When Jesus finished, as it were, the tapestry of revelation, we need to understand that that comes with accountability. That comes with responsibility. We must listen to this consummate prophet. We must believe in him. We must trust in him. We must rest our souls in him. We must recognize that it is in him who is the truth. That it is in him uh, who is the means of Yahweh being merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, that we might find salvation. But if we do not listen to this prophet, if we do not respond rightly to the revelation that he gives, he will be to us a stone of stumbling and we will fall and as Isaiah the prophet said, be dashed to pieces. Simeon prophesied in the temple to Mary, Jesus' mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. We need to recognize that we will be judged in regards to how we responded to Jesus Christ, this consummate prophet. For those who have believed in Him, He becomes the cornerstone upon which we as living stones are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. But for those who do not believe, He is the cause of our fall. He is the cause of our demise. As we do not believe, as we reject this revelation of God, we will fall and be dashed to pieces. We will be judged on that last day. Why did you not listen to this prophet? Why did you not listen to this consummate revealer? So believe in this consummate prophet. We needed this revelation of God that God has given us in His Word and fully and finally in His incarnate Word, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our ignorance, we needed Christ, the consummate prophet, to come to us. But having come to us, we have this responsibility to believe the revelation that He gives us and the revelation that He has brought us. So believe in Him. Believe in Him and build your life upon Him. Do not stumble over Him. Do not fall and be dashed to pieces. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.